0: Well, there's a lot more people than there was when I sat down. Um, my name is Amanda, and I'm an alcoholic. Um, first, I would like to thank the planning committee uh, and everyone for coming out on this Saturday and uh, choosing to spend your Saturday here um, talking about important things like uh, spiritual principles and uh, home groups and uh, carrying the message of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, my task today was uh, to talk a little bit about about the history of these three things, um, which unbeknownst to me did require a little bit more than just being asked to share your story. Um, And uh, I was able to um, draw from a couple different resources. I definitely want to cite these resources. I think that's important. Um, I try to keep it, um, started going down some rabbit holes, but really try to keep it, straightforward, um, and, and primarily used A Comes of Age, and, um, that was basically a 20-year anniversary reflection on the groups, um, and, um, it was when AA Come of Age, I think President Dwight D. Eisenhower recognized AA as a national institution during that time, and, um, you know, Bill and, and everyone else who was alive at the time was able to reflect back on those 20 years, so, um, and then there was another article, um, about AA roots in the Oxford group by a non-alcoholic, T. William Hunter, who was a part of the Oxford groups, and Mel B, um, an AA member. So those are the primary resources, and I may or may not have tried to use ChatGPT. Um, I did try, but it produced very bad results. (laughs) um, It's an honest program, so I need to throw that out there. Um, My sobriety date is January 20th, 2011. My home group is a vision for you. We meet on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Um, in Fable, North Carolina. Uh, love to see you guys there. Please come down anytime. Um, and uh, you know, as, as, as Jerry mentioned, this, this conference is kind of convey the um, simplicity of, of carrying the message and, and really um, the power of the home group and, and the spiritual principles and and how that's worked how, how that worked yesterday and how it's working today. Um, and what I'm sharing about the history, uh, I'm not really going to compare what it's like today. I just kind of ask you guys to think about um, what, what you're doing in your own lives and your own principles, how you're carrying the message, and, and how that's looking in your own home groups of, of how they used to do it and how it is now. Um, and, uh, and and recognize the, the amazing work that, that these first pioneers did to, to get us where we are today. Um, and, and that was kind of the... The powerful thing that I, that I learned throughout this um, this task um, and also this history is not linear um, it's really hard to, to tell the timeline of, of AA with, with the groups and the spiritual principles and helping others because they are so um, interconnected and, and you can't have one without the other it's um, so literally all three of them are are essentials um, to, to how this thing works so um, First of all, though, um, for you guys to believe me, I'm gonna have to qualify and tell a little bit of my own history. Um, (laughs) I am an alcoholic, and uh, I also um, first found myself in Alcoholics Anonymous um, hopeless, and uh, you know that was really important. I really had to be hopeless um, to be able to to have a spiritual experience. It was real hard to uh, to get this program without um, admitting. Hopelessness and, and understanding uh, what alcoholism was, um, a physical allergy and a mental obsession. Uh, I took my first drink in about seventh grade, um, just out of curiosity. There was alcohol in the home; it wasn't abused. It was just sitting in there in the fridge, and out of curiosity, um, I drank drank some of it. I think it was like box wine, and um, I didn't drink it all. I didn't. I didn't. You know, drink the whole box. I didn't pass out. I didn't throw up. Um, but what happened was an instant, uh, mental obsession, uh, it fixed whatever was going on. I was a, a restless, irritable, discontented kid, very headstrong. I would write notes to bargain with the tooth fairy, and I'd write notes to, like, uh, you know, run away from, from, from home, but I'd let, let them know where I was, right? I'm, I'm on my playground, and I'm going to do my homework, and I'll be on the bus and go to school, so very meticulous on top of, um, being disobedient, so, um, and then you put alcohol on that, and it just, you know, uh, kind of made the situation worse. So I took this first drink, um, and, it, and, it, and it made all that restlessness go away. And um, I just couldn't wait to do it again. And I didn't become a daily drinker, um, but what happened was anytime time, you know, it might have been a month or two later, even three months later, but as soon as I was left home alone again, I did it again. And I just was kind of waiting for that moment. Um, or I'd go to my friend's house, and I'd, you know, convince them to just, Sneak some out of their parents. And, and so this went on and on. And the older I got, the more accessible it got. And, uh, you know, I was able to um, know which corner store to go to in high school to buy the alcohol. And um, so the older I got, uh, the more I drank. Um, I did do drugs as well. Um, so um, a lot of ego was in there. I was able to uh, get this false sense of, um, of, an ego, I got expelled from school and I went to what call like bad kid school, And I, when I came back to my regular high school, um, I was invited to a lot of parties and, and I was the person people called um, for, for the party favors and, you know, I was the one that they sent to the store with the fake ID just because I was bold enough to go do it and so this, it made me feel important and, um, and that kind of carried on into my, into my adult drinking career. Um, where where it was really important to me to be kind of like the life of the party and, and, and to be accepted. Um, the uh, somehow managing into college um, that didn't work out. Suffered a lot of consequences. Um, none of that was sufficient. Um, through a series of events, ended up uh, incarcerated. Spent my 24th birthday at 1034 Bragg Street. Um, you know, a normal person would have looked and, and thought, you know, this there's a lot going on. You flunked out of school. You're in prison. Like. You know, why can't you drink? Why can't you stop drinking? Um, uh, I was introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous um, in prison, and I worked through Step 3 with a sponsor. Um, oh, I guess that was a point where fear sobered me a bit, and uh, when I got out, I was, uh, went back to Fayetteville and went to, went to Central Group, and I was real good at, at going to those meetings. I think I lasted about 70 days. I almost hit my 90 and 90. <laughs> that doesn't work. didn't work for me. Um, I made 70 and 70, and um, met, met somebody, um, met somebody, another newcomer, and, and took him hostage, and off we roared to New York City, and did the same thing up there, and about eight more years of, of incomprehensible demoralization, um, continued uh, violating myself and my family, and ended up um, alone in an apartment that my parents paid for because they didn't want me homeless. I wasn't allowed at their house broken relationships, um, couldn't hold a job. And, um, you know, a voice, uh, said, Hey, you know, pick up the phone and go to AA. And, uh, and I did that and I walked in and, uh, got a phone number from that first meeting of a, of a young lady who became my first sponsor. And, uh, when I called her, she came over to my house and sat on the picnic table with me and she shared with me about her drinking. And, um, share with me how she had this spiritual experience through working the steps and, and told me about her drinking and I could identify with that. And, you know, she was going to school and seemed to have a family that liked her and drove a car and had a license and had some things that were attractive. But, but more importantly, you know, I thought I had to pack up my bags and go to a rehab or go off to a detox, and that's what I had previously done, and, and she said, hey, why don't you try working these steps, you know, and, and let's start meeting and, and going through the book, and, and that was really important because um, I needed those first 30 pages of the Big Book to teach me what alcoholism was because I just didn't think I was an alcoholic. I thought I had to drink rubbing alcohol and um, do that all day long, which you know, I was probably on my way to that, but um, so that identification was super important and, um, you know, I ended up um, being able to get away Know, clear the wreckage of my past and, and have a spiritual experience and have a personal relationship with God and, and, and allow that to work through me and, and help other people and um, you know it, it carries on today um, and so that's that's uh, a little bit about me um, you know I don't uh, again not not saying that there's any qualification we're talking about A history um, just pull, pulled information from these uh, resources so um, it's really hard to uh, to not talk about Alcoholics Anonymous without first talking about Oxford Groups. Um, and I know there may be plenty of people in here who know know about Oxford Groups, um, but there could be some that don't. So um, I'm gonna touch on that first. It's a good place to start, I think. Um, the Oxford Groups were, uh, were a group formed by a, name, a man named Frank Butman. Uh, he's a guy, minister from Pennsylvania, and Tried to do some, some ministries in Pennsylvania that didn't quite work out. He got a little mad and, and took off to England. And uh, he was uh, supposed to go to hear some other preacher in England and I think m- missed the timeline or something and ended up at this other chapel and heard, heard this uh, this female priest talking about uh, a spiritual experience. And he had this uh, transforming experience where he realized that like he had to quit being mad at these people back in Pennsylvania, and, and he immediately started writing them men's and try to get rid of that resentment. Um, And and this experience, you know, became so convincing to him that um, he started sharing this in people's homes in England, and the reason that it's named the Oxford Group is because it was near to Oxford University. Um, So, Frank Buckman in 1919, um, the first society was called the First Century Christian Fellowship, which then turned into the groups, and then turned into the Oxford Groups after um, the success around Oxford University um, and these ideas started fanning out all around um, England and Europe and, and, and soon in America so he met uh, his American connection Sam Shoemaker um, was kind of his like American uh, counterpart and learned these spiritual principles, I think they were in China where they met doing a ministry but they traveled around a lot and um, the uh, in, yeah, in China in 1918, and, and he became – Sam Shoemaker was Episcopal priest, and, and we'll, get, we'll get to that down the road. But he, uh, he was instrumental in, in the Oxford groups in, in the United States. Um, and so there's also you – know, as Oxford groups were spreading throughout Europe, um, you know, Roland, Roland H., uh, the great American businessman, the story that's in the big book – um, was getting treated with, from Dr. Carl Young, uh, a psychiatrist in, in Switzerland, and he had come across um, some of these members of the Oxford groups, and he was, uh, had kind of had that first idea about how, um, you know, alcoholic cases that are hopeless um, can, can be fixed through a vital spiritual experience. Um, uh, Roland found this experience within the Oxford groups as well, and he's the one who passed it along to Ebby Thatcher, who then carried it to Bill Wilson. Um... In a town's hospital in 1934, Bill had the same kind of um, spiritual experience, um, similar to other members of the Oxford group. And um, Bill saw this as a way out for, for other alcoholics. And so, as a group spread in, in America, um, at the stage was set in Akron, um, which brought AA you know, into B um, out of Akron. So, first, um, one lady who's really important is Henrietta Sterberling, um, she's one that brought Bill and Bob together at our Akron home and, um, there was a phone call, I think it's, uh, familiar, might have mentioned it in the intro, where, uh, Bill was in Akron, um, and was trying to, hard to stay sober and made a phone call and, uh, got connected with, with Henrietta, um, who connected him with, with Dr. Bob. Um, so the groups in, in Akron, um, a big tire manufacturer, uh, Mr. Firestone, his son had gotten sober through uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, and he had um, about 60, team of 60 people from the Oxford Group come to Akron in 1933 to conduct um, night and morning meetings all throughout the city. Um, and Henry Anderson-Serverling and uh, a couple named uh, Henry and, and Clarence Williams started joining in with this group through, through a 10-day session. And through this 10-day session, um, they started Wednesday night meetings um, in the Williams home. Um, and then through um, one of the main things about the Oxford group, um, they didn't really do anything until they had some quiet time and some guidance um, from God. And this was uh, a real staple and, and principle of, of the Oxford groups. And so during during these sessions, um, Henrietta Sterberling had, had guidance with God, and, and God was telling her, hey, you need to... She was praying for Dr. Bob, who was known as, as an alcoholic in, um and, and she got this guidance and, to, to help him, and um, they started coming to the meetings, and in these meetings, um, they spoke with a lot of honesty about their, their problems. Um, they were really upfront about what was going on in their lives, um, they, they were vulnerable, and um, through this um, sharing of, 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 of what they were working on in their lives with God and their vulnerability, um, Dr. Bob felt comfortable enough to share with them that he kind of admitted he had a drinking problem, and so all the while, though, Henry Absterverly was, like, praying for guidance about to help this guy. And so Dr. Bob and Ann start coming to these meetings, but he's continuing to drink. And, I mean, they're going to these meetings every Wednesday night, but he's still drinking for a good couple years. And she's like, listen, you know, God, I'm, you know, I don't have the answers here. You're going to have to help, help send somebody to, to help this guy. And um, a few years later, um, that's when, you know, Bill W. ended up on this trip in Akron. He was in the Mayflower <coughs> Hotel, and... and um, he grabbed a, a minister's directory and didn't even know like who to call. He just kind of ran his finger down the directory and landed on a, an, an Episcopal clergyman named Dr. Tunks. And Dr. Tunks was in touch with the Oxford group at the time. And so he calls Dr. Tunks. Dr. <coughs> Dr. Tunks connects him with Henry Um And then Bill Wilson ended up hanging out with, with Bob and Ann for quite a while. Bob was still drinking, and Bob and Bill would pray in the mornings and Ann would sit in the corner and, and read her Bible and they would, you know, shoot, he would, uh, he would keep drinking. Um, he served up for a few weeks and ended up going to a, a medical conference. Um, Bill, Bill thought he should, uh, face the music and, and go on anyway, even though he only had a few weeks of sobriety and, uh, he ended up, they had to go fetch him from Atlantic city. And when he came back, he had that, uh, you know, that, that operation to do that a lot of people talk about. And, um, for that operation, um, you know, he he, he tapered off and, and did the operation, and after the operation, he disappeared again. And they thought, oh, well, he's probably you know getting drunk again. But what he was doing was out making his amends, and immediately, you know, after those amends, that was the date of his sobriety. Um, and and the powerful part with this that that um, that really resonated with me was the how Henryetta um had just had just prayed and, and, and prayed for for Bobby to get sober and, and I I believe for myself that um, I was prayed prayed in these rooms. I know that um, I know for a fact that um, for the 15 plus years I was drinking, um, I know for sure my mom was praying. She was, she was a very you know devout woman and, and, and prayed a lot and um, and other people probably prayed as well. Um, but the interesting connections of of Bill W. just randomly. Selecting this name out of the directory who happened to know Henrietta Sterberling who had been praying for this help to come for Dr. Bob You know, it's all this, um, you know powerful connection of of things um, Working out the way they're supposed to and and for me You know, my mom always told me she never really like talked about my drinking to people in the town I was from because she just knew that I was gonna get sober one day And she didn't want she's like one day you may come back to this town and, and want a job and she just didn't put my business out there, you know, and um because she just had this faith that I was going to get sober, and she was right. Um, but but the interesting part is that when I was in kindergarten, um, there's a family friend who, who was, was an alcoholic, and at that time when I was in kindergarten, um, she was drinking. She's since been sober. Um, but this lady was in my life when I was in kindergarten and then got sober, you know, throughout the years or whatever. But when I came in to AA, she's the one that I called, like, Thirty years later, to take me to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, um, and then a few years after that, I had um, you know the the honor of being able to 12 step her daughter. So the, this this you know this praying and this circle and these connections that, that happened back then, I've I've seen demonstrated in my life, um, and it's just uh, you know that's what Alcoholics Anonymous is: is people are tapped into this power um, that that can work in our lives. Just like I did with, with Henrietta and, and Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob. And, um, you know, the attractiveness that Dr. Bob had with these Oxford groups is that there were people that were just being really vulnerable and honest with each other and, 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 and were allowing God to work through that. Um, so, you know, moving, moving on to um, the east, eastern part of the state, um, eastern part of the state, eastern part of the United States in New York City. Um, that's where Dr. Sam Shoemaker was doing his work with Oxford groups. And, um, you know, he was, uh, was the national headquarters at Calvary Church in New York City. Um, so Bill Wilson and his shenanigans was, was running around and, um, on a bender ended, ended up at Calvary Mission. And, uh, they, um, I was joking with, with somebody earlier today as we are eating donuts back then, you know, Bill wandered into this, uh, Calvary Mission. They fed him a plate of beans and he was pretty happy to have that. So, um, also, speaking of, that's another thing to remember like when we're talking about these time period, I mean, this is like coming out of the Great Depression, post-World War I, um, you know, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of varying factors to what was going on in these people's lives. Um, and then for them to still have this effort to, to make Alcoholics Anonymous happen is pretty, pretty impressive. So anyway, um, Bill W's uh, at Calvary Mission, um, they were having some, some Oxford group meetings there Uh, He did have an initial spiritual experience, but he still kept drinking, similar to to Dr. Bob. Um, But um, the ideas of of self-examination and acknowledgement of character defects and restitution for harm's done that came from the Oxford groups, that's what Sam Shoemaker was able to share um, directly with with Bill W. And um, his teachings, uh, Sam Shoemaker's teachings, Really did um, the most to to shape the spiritual climate of, of Alcoholics Anonymous and in the steps as they are today. Um, from 1934 to 1937, um, Bill and his wife Lois attended um, two Oxford group meetings in Manhattan. You know, all at, every time for most of the years. And another thing that that was um, evident in a lot of these stories is that it's always um, the family's always involved. It's always like Bill and his wife, or Bob and Ann, or someone and their wife, it wasn't, these alcoholics weren't doing things on their own, they were doing things with the family. Um, Thursday evenings were dedicated for personal sharing and Sunday afternoons were for more, more public meetings where people could bring new friends. Um, you know, the, the the Oxford groups definitely were impactful um, and Dr. Shoemaker's impact on those early days um, really emphasized the spiritual principles of the steps. Um, and, and that led to the, the publication of the 12 Steps in the Oxford Group. So the Oxford Group was obviously very critical to Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, Bill and the early alcoholics um, did not remain associated with the Oxford Group for a long time. Um, Bill began holding separate meetings for alcoholics um, after returning from Akron. In his uh, 1937, a group in New York City formed um, that withdrew completely from the Oxford Groups. Uh, Bill always acknowledged the importance of the spiritual principles that came from the Oxford groups. Um, there are several reasons um, why, why that happened. Out in Akron, um, most of those alcoholics out there were still very deeply loyal to the Oxford groups and didn't really separate until a few years after. Um, that Henrietta H. and the Williams that were hosting these meetings in their home, um, they remained Oxford groups until um, late into 1937. And the reason that they ended up breaking is a few reasons. Um, the, the primary purpose of, of helping other alcoholics was the main one, that um, their attention, um, the Oxford group started getting into some political stuff and just really focusing on converting people. And um, in, in the, uh, the, the early members were wanted to be more focused on, on helping alcoholics. Um, and, you know, some of the, the methodologies ended up being a little too evangelic for, for alcoholics' taste, so they wanted to tone that down a little bit. Um, and also the practice of anonymity. So the Oxford groups were pretty anonymous at the beginning. Um, however, um, later on, it became a, a strategy of having what's called like a key position person, where they actually would go out and, and, and really say, hey, this is our spokesperson. And um, some of the alcoholics preferred the, the, the practice of anonymity. Uh, and then also public controversy. Um, the Oxford groups were kind of shaking some things up, so they kind of wanted to separate from that to be more effective at helping other alcoholics. So you hear a lot of these principles are, are evident in what we see today in our traditions and in, in, in our own personal spiritual principles that we can apply. Um, but there's always appreciation for the Oxford groups. Um, you know, one of the, the stories I read, this guy named Al, who's, who was a retired uh, rubber engineer from the Akron area, ended up in Florida, and uh, was at one of the first meetings at the Williams home. And, and by the way, you know, these people in the Oxford group, they weren't alcoholics. They, they opened up their homes to, to alcoholics to meet there, and, and that's um, pr- pretty impressive. I don't know about you guys, but I've never gone to a non-alcoholic's home for an AA meeting, so. Um, so this guy, Al, you know, uh, Dr. Bob was a sponsor, and he really was, was involved with Oxford groups at the Williams home. Um, and established continued sobriety, and, and he carried uh, wallet pictures with him, which I assumed would probably be pretty popular. They didn't have cell phones with, like, you know, the Instagram reels, so they had wallet-sized pictures. And um, there were shots of uh, Henry and Clarice Williams, Dr. Bob, um, Ann Smith, Ebby Thatcher, Bill and Lois, and a few others. But the very first picture on the stack was a portrait of Frank Buckman. And um, he had said that, you know, the reason he keeps his picture on top is because that's where it all began, that none of this would have happened without Frank. So... Um, despite the breakings from the Oxford Group, it'd be hard not to to recognize the impact that he had on Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, you know, many AA members feel that you know God could have used various different methods of, of and different channels of bringing people into AA, but but He chose Frank Buckman and the Oxford Group. And um, the quote says, "You know, if that bothers you, don't worry about it. it bothered Bill W. as well. <laughs> um, and when the when the group message was first presented to him by Evie, um, but it all worked out." Um, one of the significant pieces about about how how you know groups formed and people got connected were were the um, actual groups themselves, but also um, non alcoholic friends and and, and uh, friends in medicine and the press and, and the religion. Like none of us would be here without that. And I see the public information table back there, and um, you know it's uh, it's interesting um, you know how important that was reading reading up on this history. So. Um, once AA was established in Akron in New York, the groups began to, uh, to multiply. Um, from New York, they ended up reaching Philadelphia and Washington, D.C. And in Akron, they started um, definitely to bleed into Cleveland. That was def- definitely the, the big hub of, of the spread in the Midwest. Um, the AA message um, was able to spread through these groups through various reasons. Uh, we heard earlier in the introduction um, about William... Duncan Silkworth, who helped Bill W. at Towns Hospital and described the obsession of the mind that compels us to drink, an allergy of the body that condemns us to go mad or die. Uh, Dr. Silkworth showed Bill how to um, talk about this hopelessness and spiritual awakenings uh, effectively with alcoholics. Um, Dr. Silkworth put his career on the line by letting Bill Wilson go into these uh, facilities behind him at Towns Hospital and talked to these alcoholics. Um, and after six months with no success, uh, Dr. Silkworth kind of told Bill, hey, why don't you quit preaching and just kind of share the facts, right? Um, uh, and so uh, the hospital's owner, Charles B. Towns, ended up also becoming a supporter and giving a loan of $4,000 to print the book Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, which um, some of us know Dr. Silkworth wrote the introduction. Um, it is estimated that Dr. Silkworth, with the nickname Silky, and a redheaded nurse named Teddy, um, with cooperation with AA, helped saw more than 10,000 alcoholics in New York's Knickerbocker Hospital and close to 40,000 throughout his career. The partnership between Silky and Teddy was inspired by the works being done by Dr. Bob and Sister Ignatia in Akron. The partnership between medicine and AA continues today and was vital to the formation of AA. Um, I know that um, when I first uh, had experience with helping other alcoholics was in a detox center. Um, and I know the the picture on the flyer, I think it's here in front of me, where you see uh, Bill and Bob sitting next to the bed of Bill Dodson. Um, you know, I've gone to detox centers and seen people in hospital gowns, but I can't say I've ever sat next to somebody's hospital bed and, and shared the message of Alcoholics Anonymous. Not that I wouldn't be willing to, but you know, things have changed a little bit um, to where, you know, the, the accessibility is beyond that point. And um, so, um, I also have been uh, able to be more active on a, on a cooperation with professional community and public information committee um, in Fayetteville. And um, after reading some of this history, I feel like we got a lot of work to do <laughs> um, because it's just so evident how um, important connecting with doctors and, and the press and, and um, religious people was to the, to the spread of Alcoholics Anonymous. So today we have um, websites which are, which are effective. Um, and, and we do have one in my district, but, um, you know, I don't, I, I talked to my prim, my own primary care doctor and let them know I was an alcoholic. Um, they've never called me to say, hey, I've got a case. Um, my priest has one time. Um, and so I do share these things with, with people I know, um, but so far it's not, you know, this was kind of the main way that they were reaching alcoholics at the beginning, um, was through people in, in, in medicine and religion. Um, so in the New York group, a guy named Henry P. Um, got sober in Towns Hospital and carried the message to New, um, in New Jersey. He was known in New Jersey, and he was, ended up being Bill's partner in the works publishing, which printed um, the big book Alcoholics Anonymous. So now uh, the little small groups that are meeting in houses are starting to get a little organized, and, and Bill, being the, the genius businessman he is, is like, all right, got to get, get some uh, LLCs in place and some, some publishing companies in place. And I mean, he wasn't wrong. Um, luckily, he had the, the savvy to do that. Um, And so um, Fitz M, whose story can be found in our southern friend in the big book, Um, when they started writing the big book, you know, uh, Henry and this guy named Jimmy B, um, who was a a salesman and a a, a former atheist, they would argue with Fitz about the depth of the religious content in the big book. And this went on and on, several iterations of, of how deeply religious the big book should be and... Um, you know, how how the approach should be taken, went back and forth and Fitz lived in Maryland so he would go up to New York City during this process and they would talk about the spiritual angle of the book and this is how God as we understood him came about. They finally decided on a middle road um, but despite their differences, uh, Fitz and Jimmy were determined to carry the message so Jimmy headed to Philadelphia and started a group there in 1940 and then Fitz started a group in Washington um, the meeting in Philadelphia was started in the home of George S. He was a loner, and which meant he didn't have any connection with any groups. He served up after reading an article um, by Morris Markey called Alcoholics and God. Um, and then he wrote up to to, to the office, and, and, and he, was, <laughs> he was depressed and drinking whiskey and laudanum, and I Googled what laudanum is, and it's a mixture of opioids and alcohol, so... Uh, George S was like pretty, 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 uh, pretty laid out, and he read this article and 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 decided he was going to write to the New York office, and then this guy Jimmy, who was a salesman, went down to to, who traveled that territory, went down to Philadelphia, and they started the meeting out in in Philadelphia. Now all this guy George had was this article about alcoholics and God. He didn't have a big book. He didn't have meetings. He didn't even know anyone. Um, He read this article and and and. Hardcore went off the whiskey and and laudanum and and got sober. And then Jimmy, the traveling salesman, came down. And this group in Philadelphia was was really significant and attracted the attention of uh, three prominent physicians in Philadelphia um, that produced one of the first alcoholic clinics um, in the United States. Um, And then one of the physicians, Dr. Hammer, was friends with the owner of the Saturday Evening Post that produced um, the Jack Alexander article, Alcoholics Anonymous, which led to the national attention. So you got this one guy George S. who's uh, uh, sipping on his whiskey and laudanum and reading this article about alcoholics and God, and then the salesman Jimmy comes down and they start this group that turns into an alcoholic clinic and then leads to the writing of this article of the Saturday Evening Post, which draws the national attention to Alcoholics Anonymous. So there's that other um, woven connection of, of, of God working through through people that that nobody could ever you know make up, right? This stuff can't can't be made up. Um, and the fact that this loaner didn't have any um, books or, or meetings just kind of made me think about what kind of tools I had when, when I was a newcomer. Um, and, and I came in, we, we didn't have a meeting guide app. We had a, we had a three, three tri-fold pamphlet with the meetings in it where the ladies like wrote all their numbers on the back of it, which was nice. Um, and uh, we did have an inner group. And um, we didn't have a website, um, but I did have a big book. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I had traveled, like, uh, my second year in recovery, I traveled to, to an area where there was an AA, a uh, remote area in West Africa, and um, I kind of felt like a loner, I did not have, you know, a solution, I wasn't a newcomer, but, um, you know, I was under my mosquito net, and uh, back then they had, before this before Zoom, <laughs> They, had, they actually an AA online intergroup, and it was like you chatted the meetings with people, <laughs> and that's all I had. You know, I did end up hopefully connecting with some alcoholics towards the end of my trip, but like, you know, I, I can't imagine, I guess back then that's what they did. You know, they wrote letters and, and read articles, so similar similar experiences. So, um, you know, we're grateful with technology, um, the access we have now for Alcoholics Anonymous. So, good old George was a, that, that article impacted him, and God spoke to him, and he, 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 uh, transformed AA in, in, a lot of ways. So. Um, so Fitz, good old Fitz. He didn't have that much success in Washington. I think Fitz was probably preaching to a lot of people and, uh, they, uh, they didn't have much success in Washington, but, but right before he died, um, a few people did get sober in that area and a seed was planted and his sister had loaned him a thousand dollars to help print the big book. Um, and kind of was, was celebrating in these seeds that got planted and I don't know about you guys, but I don't think my brother would have loaned me a thousand dollars if I come to him and said, you know, hey, um, me and my drunk friends are going to print a copy of the big book. Can I get a thousand dollars? I mean, that's a lot of money now, much less back then. Um, And then there's uh, Marty, um, who was uh, not the very first female alcoholic, but but the the first one that, that had continuous sobriety. Uh, was being treated by Dr. Harry Tebow, and, and um, he had somehow got himself a pre-publication of the big book manuscript and slipped it to her in this as- in this asylum. And uh, she got sober and and started holding meetings on the sanitarian grounds in uh, Greenwich, Connecticut. And um, she also would go to New York and visit with Bill and Lois in their house. <coughs> Meanwhile, out in the Midwest, um, uh, the Akron group had, had spread to Cleveland. Um, and they were really um, having some some good success there. Dr. Bob and, and Sister Ignatia were at St. Thomas's Hospital, um, working with alcoholics on their bed. Um, they, they took off to Cleveland to start to do the same thing. Clarence S and his wife Dorothy um, had a had a group form up around them in Cleveland with a few successful cases. Uh, a few articles in the Cleveland Plain Dealer. Um, people started calling in the newspaper. These few articles really prom- um, prompted an influx of alcohol, alcoholic inquiries into Cleveland. Um, and Clarence and Dorothy were were started working with, with the city hospital, but then they had to start working with other hospitals and. Um, They became loaded with with cases of alcoholics, and um, they had to actually call in clergymen and doctors to start helping, because there just wasn't enough A's at the time to help. So the clergymen and the doctors were familiar with with the approach of of spiritual principles and and depending on God to help these alcoholics as well. Um, This is kind of where personal sponsorship got developed, um, that they realized that this is helpful for for applying for new people, that each prospect was assigned an older AA um, who would visit them, at the home of the hospital and instructed them on the AA principles and then uh, took them to their first meeting or helped them get introduced but because of all the appeals in the Cleveland area uh, the supply of um, more experienced alcoholics couldn't meet the demand and so brand new AA's sober only a month or a week had to help sponsor people so that was pretty cool brand new AA's could help sponsor people Homes were thrown open for meetings. I know during COVID um, that, that there are a lot of people that did open their homes. Um, I, I never got to experience having a meeting in somebody's home, um, that's pretty powerful. But for those of y'all who've done that, um, you know, thank you, uh, it's pretty powerful stuff um, to do that. Sometimes I get nervous even inviting other people to my house. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so homes were thrown open for meetings. The first Cleveland meeting started in June of 1939 in the home of um, Abby. And his wife, Um, Abby and others from Akron, who used to meet in the Williams home, and the Oxford groups, um, you know, helped helped start meetings in Cleveland. Now, these groups began to outgrow people's houses. You can imagine um, the size of houses back then probably weren't that big, and they they would get kind of crowded. So then they started out to go to small halls and church basements, um, and um, finally, the book was published, and, and some pamphlets have been distributed at this point, um, which also kind of helped reduce all the confusion and carrying the message, so the literature started to play a really big role in making sure people got the message of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, some of the, the old-timers, I don't know how old you'd have to be to be an old-timer at this time, but they were they were skeptical about how Cleveland could support such a high demand. Um, they had about 30 groups with, with several hundred members. Um, but the primary purpose to help alcoholics stay sober outweighed um, the disputes. So um, what, what these groups in Cleveland kind of proved was, was the value of personal sponsorship, the worth of the literature, and that when a message was spread, it could really grow and help, help a large number of people. Um, there was always a few traveling salesmen in the groups who ended up spreading the message to other areas. I kind of started to go down a rabbit hole on this uh, with the traveling salesmen. I thought I could plot a, a map with the, the spread of the groups and the routes of the traveling salesmen back then. And um, I wouldn't doubt if you could. I didn't go that that down the rabbit hole. But um, you know, every group had, had a traveling salesman, and they would go to their territory, and that's how they would carry the message. So um, that was a really important thing at the time um earl t left cleveland and started a group in chicago um after a few sober cases um there was another woman named sylvia and earl and sylvia began hosting meetings in their homes in chicago um and after that saturday evening post article and chicago had opened the first um, intergroup office what what was then to be known as the intergroup um, associations and sylvia's personal secretary um started fielding 12-step calls all these inquiries so um, people would call in, and they'd kind of note where they're at, and then if, if somebody was traveling to that area, they'd give them the list of prospects, and they'd say, hey, go, go meet up with them, and and that's what happened, and so um, it also shows, in, you know, in early, in these early times, the, the whole family was involved, the, the personal secretary, the, the wife, the, the kids, whoever was involved kind of helped help people get these uh, meetings organized, um, so Earl's wife, Katie, was, was somewhat fundamental in, in following the footsteps of Anna Lois for the AA family group. She uh, um, really contributed to, to getting the, the families together and, and having that, that group. Um, a guy named Archie T went to Detroit after working with Dr. Bob um, and worked with a non-alcoholic named Sarah Klein who hosted meetings in her basement. So I'm gonna have to start looking for these non-alcoholics that wanna help out here and host meetings <laughs> in their basements. Um, few people got sober in Detroit, and then uh, out of Detroit, Larry J went from Cleveland to Houston, uh, where he again connected with the press, wrote some articles in the Houston Press, and it got, got the word going around in Houston, and from Houston, um, people went to Austin, Tampa, and Dallas. One of the funny stories is a guy named Erwin M., who was a boisterous Venetian salesman, and he had a big, huge territory in the South, from like New Orleans to Atlanta. And they had a lot of inquiries in the New York office from from prospects in the Southerns. No one had really kind of gone down the south, and uh, Irwin was kind of this like, uh, I guess you'd call him a the wild card, right? You didn't really know what to expect from old Irwin, right? And they were kind of skeptical about giving him this list of prospects to go down the south. And um, they were like, he's probably gonna mess it up. Like I don't know if we should give it to him, but he was really the only one that was going down there. And so, um, you know, they. They gave him this list reluctantly, and, and, and he went down there, and, and from New Orleans to Atlanta, he reached out to every single prospect on that list and, and even got them corresponding by mail um, after he left those areas, and, and, and a group in Little Rock was, was formed only by mail correspondents. So the impact of, of these, these travelers and and and... The groups and the press and the medicine and the religion and, and the families all coming together to create, you know, what we have here in this room, <laughs> 88 years later. Um, you know, is, is evident today and, and really is um, is very powerful. Um, so so going back to, to Bill's experience with with Evie and getting sober, um, that talk in his kitchen, you know, um, the story in the big book about Bill Wilson, um, and then Bill going to Calvary Mission. Um, and then, you know, Ebby um, brought Bill W., a uh, William James copy of Spiritual Experience, because Bill was struggling with the spiritual aspect of things. And the big thing that, that came about out of that book was um, a concept or a principle called deflation at depth, which was just complete hopelessness and, and deflation of ego. And and Dr. Young had told this to Ebby to as well about how hopeless alcoholism was and the Dr. Silkworth's combination of... Um, you know, the the hopelessness of of alcohol, but Bill really didn't believe it until Evie came and told him, right? He heard it from these doctors, how hopeless he was, but until one alcoholic shared his story with another, he then didn't really realize um, of his condition. So, um, after this experience at his table, Bill envisioned, you know, this idea of of a chain reaction of of alcoholics carrying this message to other alcoholics. And um, after Bill's experience with Bob and Akron, um, Dr. Silkworth, um, told Bill, you know, he was a little frustrated with Dr. Bob because he met with him and prayed with him and preached to him and he's, he still went getting sober and, and he said, you know, um, you have, you've had nothing but failures because you're preaching. Um, you know, you're know, you talking to him about the the Oxford group perspective and, and being absolutely honest, absolutely pure, absolutely unselfish, and absolutely loving um, and for a lot of alcoholics that's a big order um, and then you top it off by talking about this big spiritual experience you had of yours. He was like, I no wonder they're Pointing their fingers at their head to go out and then going out and getting drunk. He said, Why don't you turn your strategy the other way around? Um, you know, you're the guy who, who once showed me the book by William James, which said that deflation at depth is the foundation of spiritual experiences and that people have to be deflated first, they have to be hopeless, um, you know, before they can have a spiritual experience and that um, pour into them this idea of the obsession of the, of the mind and the body um, and that coming from another alcoholic. Um, that will, you know, crack these egos and and let them them have this. And and then you can try, you know, sharing the the, the spiritual principles. So um, that's when Bill went back to Bob and and just tried talking to him and and shared with him one alcoholic with another and um, realizing that they were just kind of uh, shoulder to shoulder. You know, they weren't better than the other one. There was two alcoholics. And and then also realized that that, that him sharing that was helping him. So this whole, um, you know, um, one alcoholic talking to another and helping others um, is a mutual um, uh, mutual experience of, of, of healing and of help. Um, so, you know, they went down and, and started helping a lot of people in Akron. They met Bill W. Um, you know, going fast forwarding, we, we, we talked about the progression of the growth of AA. So now we're at the phase where, where Bill's writing the big book and um, the money's been raised or continuing to be raised for the book, um, Bill has written about five chapters so far. Um, there's a lot of, uh, you know, back and forth going on about this book. They're trying to raise money. They got few arguments. You know, Bill's pretty exhausted from this whole process because it's all on him, right? Right. In these five chapters, so <laughs> he's exhausted, but, but in chapter five are where the steps are, right? And, and he really wasn't in, a, in much of a spiritual mood, but Um, For the past five years, it's been just a word-of-mouth program, and and most of the basic ideas have come from the Oxford Group, uh, the William James Book, and Dr. Silkworth. But he had it boiled down to six steps. Um, Admitted that we were licked and that we were powerless over alcohol. Made an inventory of our character defects. Confessed or shared our shortcomings with another person in confidence. Made restitution to all we had harmed by our drinking. Tried to help other alcoholics with no thought of reward, money, or prestige prayed to whatever God we thought was there for power to practice these principles. There was still contention among the eastern groups and the midwestern groups about osher um, groups and God and how religious the program should be or how not religious it should be. Um, you know, Bill was praying and thinking about the future and how explicit the steps needed to be to avoid this kind of contention. He wanted to be way more specific so that alcoholics couldn't find loopholes. So he, uh, he thought the six steps needed to be broken up into 12. Um, so he was sitting at home one night. He was real kind of antsy. Um, and he was kind of, he relaxed and he, and he prayed for guidance and finally started to write. And he had the 12 steps drafted, um, it said about an hour and a half um, from this guidance. So, um, you know, w- with that, um, I'd like to read just one section out of A Vision for You. Um, these men had found something brand new in life. Though they knew they must help other alcoholics if they were to remain sober, that motive became secondary. It was transcended by the happiness they had found in giving themselves for others. They shared their homes, their slender resources, and gladly devoted their spare hours to fellow sufferers. They were willing by day or night to place a new man in the hospital and visit him afterward. They grew in numbers. They experienced a few distressing failures. But in those cases they made an effort to bring the man's family into a spiritual way of living, thus reliving and much thus relieving in much worrying worrying and suffering. You know, groups formed a spread to help other alcoholics recover through a simple spiritual program of action and one alcoholic sharing with another through the helps of family, friends, medicine, religion, and press. A was supported through the guidance and power of different connections coming together, people who were tapped into a power and prayed for this guidance. And a bunch of alcoholics being willing to spring into action. Thank you.